Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of St. Luke's in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses, and under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. Bob Long, we are a family of faith that seeks to share God's love and bring hope to the world. We invite you now to join us for a message of hope. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sometimes we get stuck. Maybe it's because we get too comfortable where we are. Or we're afraid of the future. Or perhaps we're having trouble moving away from the pain in our past. Throughout the Bible are numerous examples of God calling the people to go forward. Jesus leads us into a new future. As followers of Christ, we respond by going forward. Did you feel it? When we took the time to pause and to remember those who paid the ultimate price so that you and I can be free? Did you feel it when we called the roll of our honored dead and you took the time to remember? You know, we've said over and over that death ends a life but not a relationship. And when we take the time to pause and to remember You can feel their presence, something that stirs in your soul. It's important to take the time and to remember. It helps you to refocus on all the things that matter and what the future is supposed to be. I've always loved that statement from the scripture, surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. That's what we're doing this morning is taking the moment to remember that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Those whose names we do not know, those names that we can call because they're a part of this family of faith. And later in the service, as you come to light candles for the names that you call in your own heart for the people who have blessed you, surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. It does come from our scripture lesson in Hebrews. Now it's interesting, Hebrews has been called a letter, but actually many people call it a book because it's not like all of Paul's letters. In fact, even though your Bible will say in the beginning, the letter of Paul to the Hebrews, almost all scholars say this was not written by Paul. When Paul wrote letters, he would write to the Ephesians, the Colossians, uh, Ephesus, And so you write a specific city and you deal with specific problems. 
this is a theological treatise that really talks about the nature of Christ and the struggles of life and how we are called to get through it. It is not written to a specific city dealing with a specific issue. And it doesn't have any of the language that Paul would use. No, we don't really know who wrote Hebrews. However, today many, many scholars think it was Priscilla. Now you remember that name, Priscilla and Aquila. They were married. They were tent makers. They were friends of Paul. They traveled with Paul and they helped to start new churches. Priscilla and Aquila were very well educated. They were very winsome. They were a strong force in the early church. But because of the way it is written in the language, they believe this was probably written by Priscilla and not Aquila. Which really is fascinating because if it is, it's the only book in the Bible to be written by a woman. Which is obviously the reason why they didn't put her name on it. <laughs> the only book in the Bible probably to be written by a woman, it is so well done. The language, the, uh, the structure, and what it really has to say. It's a well done theological treatise that we read in this book to the Hebrews. Now when was it written? We believe it was before 70 CE because it's before it's the plundering, the destruction of the temple. And who were the Hebrews? Well, it isn't being written to the Ephesians, the Colossians, the Thessalonians. No, it's being written to Jews who had become Christian and now were being persecuted for being Christian and there was a danger they were going to fall away and go back to their Jewish traditions. So this person is writing to those, the Hebrews, to say, you can do this. Stand strong. Persevere. You can run the race that is set before you. You are surrounded by this incredible great cloud of witnesses. Focus on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of your faith. And if you do that, you'll have the strength to run the race that is set before you. Running the race that is set before us is not always easy. In the times of war and terror, in the times of the death of loved ones, it is not always easy. But we can do it. We've come to Memorial Day tomorrow. Today is Memorial Sunday. You know, the original history of Memorial Day is really quite fascinating to understand its purpose and how it has evolved. I mean, Memorial Day started on the first anniversary after the end of the Civil War. The first Memorial Days took place in 1866 as people wanted to remember those who had died fighting in the Civil War. Now, lots of places years later would all claim to be the first worship service where people came to have a Memorial Day. And they were all kinds of different claims and studies were done. And finally, the truth was decided by Lyndon Baines Johnson. <laughs> Lyndon Baines Johnson, when he was president, figured out the truth and he told you the first Memorial Day took place May the 5th, 1866 in Waterloo, New York. 
Now, you may not have known that, but he figured it out. LBJ gets it right. April, I mean August, um, I mean it was going to be in May the 5th, 1866. But there were other celebrations of Memorial Day in those days, like near the Battle of Shiloh and Tennessee. Horrible battle. We know that in April of 1866, mothers of Confederate soldiers came to lay their flowers on the graves of their sons and husbands and fathers. And when they got there, they saw these Union graves. But there were no mothers. They all lived somewhere far away. And so these mothers decided to put flowers on their grave as well. Because every name should be called, whether they were the Confederates or Union. It was an incredible time of healing. So we started having these Memorial Day services. We know that it was in 1868 that the first Memorial Day service was held at Arlington Cemetery. And it has been held every single year at Arlington since that time. And tomorrow there will be very moving and meaningful services that we can turn on TV and be able to see. And I encourage you to do so because it helps you to remember. And so for the longest time, Memorial Day was just about those who died in the Civil War. And then World War I came along. And when World War I came along, now we wanted to remember those who died in World War I. And so Memorial Day began to evolve for people who served in the armed forces who gave their life for our country so that we could be free. Because we are reminded that freedom is not free. And so we then had World War I, then World War II, and then Korea, and Vietnam, and Desert Storm, and it always goes on and on. And Memorial Day has become that day that we remember those who helped us to be free. You know, whenever I go to London, regardless, I always like to go by St. Paul's Cathedral. Such an incredibly beautiful place. Such an amazing history. Having survived the Blitzkrieg there by Nazi Germany in World War II, they fought against all odds and they hung on. But one part of the church at the back was damaged, hit by a bomb. And after World War II was over, they designed it and rebuilt it and made it into the American Memorial Chapel. You see, they wanted to create a space where they honored Americans who had come to England and fought to save the British Empire. And so they created this incredible space. You come up into it, and it's got these stained glass windows that are just so beautiful. And you can sit and look at all the different symbolism in these windows. And it'll list every single state in the Union. And then they have this glass case with this beautiful book in it, 476 pages long. And the book has nothing but names being listed. The names of people and their rank. It's Americans who died in England. Over 28,000. 28,000 people. And what they do is they come out each day and turn the page one. And go all the way through the book. And then they start over. 
They've been doing that for more than 60 years now. Turn one page a day. When it's through, you come back and do it again. Every name is to be called and remembered. They were so grateful for what America was willing to do. We've continued to evolve a little on Memorial Day so that it is a time for remembering those who served and died for us. But it's also become a time when everyone seems to remember their loved ones who have entered into the kingdom of heaven. That's why if you go to cemeteries and columbariums this weekend, you will find so many flowers out at the cemetery, flowers in the columbarium, because it's become a time when we all want to remember. It's what we do in many churches like yours where we come and we remember those who are in this family of faith who have died in the last year and we want to light a candle in their honor, their memory, and we celebrate and give thanks for their life and what they have meant to us. Because you see, there is power in taking the time to remember. This morning, I want to conclude this sermon series going forward. As you and I take the time to remember, to find the power to go forward. Two things I want to say. First of all, I believe the author of Hebrews wanted us to remember that you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses so that you would be grateful. You would be filled with a spirit of gratitude. It is the fundamental spirit of people of faith, one of thanksgiving, one of gratitude. And when you remember what people have done for you, whether it's those who served, whether it's those who are part of this family of faith, whether it's those that you will name and light a candle for them, when you remember, you're going to want to give thanks. It will fill you with that spirit of gratitude. You're going to hear our national anthem played this weekend many times, especially tomorrow through the different services. And you know, when you go back and look at our national anthem, I think it has a fascinating history. Several years ago, Marsh and I went up to Annapolis. And Annapolis is an incredibly beautiful historical city. It's also where there is the Naval Academy. We went up there right before Memorial Day. And it was graduation time from the Naval Academy. And you had all these people who were about to graduate, all these young men and women who had gone through it, and now they were dressed in their uniforms. And there were moms and dads and brothers and sisters, and everybody was so proud. And you just watched them all throughout the city, just everywhere you went, there were these crowds of people. And I remember when I was seeing them, I found myself praying for them. Praying that they would never have to see combat. Praying that none of them would die so that I could be free. I was so proud of them. I was grateful for them, but I found myself a little frightened for them. I prayed for them. We wandered all around the streets there in Annapolis. There in the center of town, there's this beautiful St. Anne Episcopal Church, hundreds of years old. And in those days when you built the town, you stuck the church in the middle and all the streets go out from it. The church is supposed to be the center of all things. 
And so we went to go see St. Anne's and we went inside. It was beautiful. I mean, it's still an operating church to this day. And so we went into St. Anne's just to take a time to see it, to sit, to pray. But as we walked around looking at it, we came across a plaque that said, Francis Scott Key worshipped here. I went, wow, and he did for more than a decade. It turned out that Francis Scott Key lived there in Annapolis. He worshipped at St. Anne's. But it was in, you remember we got free, 1783 is when we signed the Treaty of Paris and England left and went back to England and we now had won the Revolutionary War. But sometimes what we don't think about is it's just 29 years later, the British were back. They showed back up in the United States, or in America at that time, and they came to Washington, they burned the Capitol, they burned the White House, and suddenly we were at war again. And the British knew they had to conquer Fort McHenry there in the Baltimore Harbor if they were going to have a landing spot for supplies and troops, and they wanted to conquer Fort McHenry there in the Baltimore Harbor. Well, it was, it was Francis Scott Key who heard that his good friend, a Dr. Beans, had been kidnapped by the British. Dr. Beans was a great patriot and a physician. And you know, the wonderful thing is he not only was a great patriot, he was a great Christian and human being because he would take care of anyone who needed help. That meant he took care of the American soldiers, but he also took care of people who were loyal to the crown, loyal to the king. He took care of British soldiers, anyone who needed help. But when he heard that he had been kidnapped, he was afraid he'd be hung because he was such a great patriot. And so Francis Scott Key began going to all these people who were loyal to the crown and saying, would you sign this letter that said, Dr. Beans took care of you, even though you were loyal to the crown. And so he got all these letters signed and then he went and petitioned, could he go out to a warship there in Baltimore Harbor, talk to the admiral who had Dr. Beans. And he was given permission. And he got on the warship. And he negotiated with the admiral. And he got Dr. Beans' release. However, the admiral said, yes, I will give you back Dr. Beans, but you can't leave right now because we're about to start the bombardment of Fort McHenry. And that, that morning they began the attack. And all this bombardment would start going on. All this firing. And it would go on all day, all night, through the night, for 24 hours. There was so much smoke, you couldn't see anything in the harbor. And Francis Scott Key kept wondering, can those people do it? Can they hold out? Can they make it? He wondered which flag he would see flying over the walls of Fort McHenry. It was the next morning when finally the shelling stopped. And when the smoke began to clear, there were the stars and stripes waving proudly over Fort McHenry. And it was Francis Scott Key who was so inspired that he sat down and he wrote, Oh say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming. 
whose broad stripes and bright stars, through the perilous fight, or the ramparts we watched so gallantly streaming, and the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. O say, does that star-spangled banner yet wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave? O thus it may it be, when the freedmen shall stand between their loved home and the war's desolation. Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven-rescued land praise the power that has made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must, when our cause it is just, and this be our motto, in God we do trust. And the star-spangled banner in triumph shall wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. But he published the words, and it became very popular. And it was so popular that people thought, we want to put it to a, a tune. We want to be able to sing this. And so they finally found a tune that seemed to go right with the words, with a little bit of adjustment, and it was an old British drinking tune. And so that's the tune for our national anthem. And this is where the words got written. And it began to be sung and people loved it so much. But do you know when it became our national anthem? 1931. Just 92 years ago, it became our national anthem. And you know, you and I live in this country... And we all know that it has problems. But it's still a great place to live. Our freedom, where we can complain and disagree with each other or complain about our leaders without fear of retribution. A place that was founded on such high ideals and a vision of what could be. And even if we are not there, we have a calling of what could be. No, we're blessed to get to live here. And you know, our national anthem has become kind of a symbol. It's become more of a flashpoint. That some people don't want to sing it. Or some people don't want to stand for it. We've seen all the discussions about that here in these last years. But I saw a fascinating article with Brittany Griner recently. Brittany Griner, you remember she plays in the WNBA. She's originally from Houston, Texas. And then she went to Baylor. And then she was drafted into the Women's Basketball League and she has been just a superstar. But she also played in other leagues over in Europe and Russia in the off-season. And you remember it was February of last year. They found hashish oil in a vape that she had. Usually that was a 15-day detention they gave her nine years. She didn't know if or when she would ever come home. And finally, it was in December of this last year that the government was able to get her free and bring her home. She's now playing this basketball season. And I saw this interview with her, and she was being asked, what does she think about the national anthem being played at basketball games, and what did she feel about people standing for the national anthem? I'm going to read you what she said. 
One good thing about this country is you have the right to protest. You have the right to be able to speak out, to question, to challenge, and to do all these things. After what I went through, it just means more to me now. So I want to be able to stand. I was literally in a cage and could not stand the way I wanted to. Just being able to hear my national anthem, see my flag, I definitely want to stand. When you stop and you remember, you become grateful. It changes the way you see things and the way you want to be able to go forward. You are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Don't forget, remember and be grateful. And secondly, if you will remember and be grateful for that cloud of witness that surrounds you and you look to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, then you will find the strength to run the race that is before you. That really is about experience, the grace of Jesus Christ. If you stay focused on the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, then you will come to know that grace. And when you know that grace and you know gratitude, the two fundamental things for all Christians, you find the strength to be able to persevere, to go forward as the author of Hebrews is trying to help people to do. Even when we have lost our loved ones, even when we have lived through war and tragedy, you find the power to go forward. Those who know grace live grace. And when we live gracefully with one another, you and I start to change this world. You know, last weekend, Marsh and I weren't here. Like so many of you, we've been attending graduation. And last weekend, we went up to Lafayette, Colorado um, to be with our daughter Kelly and her husband Andy and our four grandkids because our oldest grandson, Luke, uh, was graduating from high school. And so he's the first one. And we, we went up and we had such a good time. Got to be with the family and celebrate his graduation. But far more than that, the good news was after 18 years, of living in Philadelphia and Dallas and Colorado and all kinds of places, Kelly and Andy have moved back home to Oklahoma City. And they arrived here last week and are getting settled in their home. And so we're getting to be back now with the family for the first time in over 18 years. And you know, when you get back together, you start reminiscing and remember this and remember when that happened this a long time ago. And I was thinking back about, it was about five years ago that she was living in Colorado and she had a new SUV. She did not have the kids with her. She was out running some errands and she was driving and she was in a car wreck. And we suddenly got a call, Kelly was on the phone and said, I've been in a wreck, everybody's okay. You know, I think we need to learn how you start with everybody's okay, I've been in a wreck. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a much better approach, I just got to tell you. So, you know, that's, that's great. Everybody is okay. That's really all that we want to wind up knowing. You know, but our new vehicle was 
now smashed up. Turned out that it was a, um, a young lady, 16 or 17 years old, driving an old Toyota. Uh, my guess is she may have been texting, may have been on her phone, not paying attention, because Kelly was sitting at a stoplight and suddenly smash, hit from behind. You know, I think many of us have had that to where you're just sitting there when you get hit. And that's what happened to her. She got out of her SUV to go back to see what was going on and she was okay and this young lady gets out of her car, she was okay. But her car was now all smashed up and this girl gets out, her chin is quivering and tears start running down her face and she's now crying and Kelly kind of sizes up the situation. She has a decision to make. How do you respond in that moment? You just smashed up my new SUV. She went back to this girl. She hugged her. She said, it's going to be okay. It's really going to be okay. This is not a big deal. I remember when I had my first wreck, she said. I'd had my driver's license for less than a month. And a guy was stopped at a stoplight and I plowed right into the behind him. I had to call my dad. It was on his birthday. I remember that call. <laughs> Marsha and I were out for lunch to celebrate my birthday and I get this call. Dad, I've been in a wreck and everybody's okay. <laughs> Going to work on that flip here. now. So she calls, she said, you know, I, I remember my first wreck and uh, um, my family was very gracious about it. Truth of the matter is, she said, you know, I, I tended to have a wreck once or twice a year for the next few years. Dad was always gracious about it, and so was Mom. Said, but you know, I remember a couple years later that I, I, uh, I went to a gas station with some friends of mine to get some gas, and when I got through pumping the gas, I forgot to take the hose out of the tank and we drove off, and it wasn't a breakaway hose. No, it pulled the gas pump over. It exploded and blew up the glass station, literally, caught fire. And she said, you know, I hope you don't ever have to go through something like that. And this girl who just now had had her first wreck and was crying was now laughing. And... Kelly said, it's going to really be okay. And so now with a whole different spirit, she got out her phone and she walked off a few steps to go over and call her dad. And so that's why she was now calling us. And she said, I just wanted to say thank you. I was praying that her father would be as gracious to her as you and mom were to me. I said, Kelly, we were gracious because I remember when I was 16, I'd been over to see this girl. I'd had a great time at her house, and now I had to get home. And when I left, my mind was somewhere totally else. I was a new driver. I didn't ever even look behind me when I backed down the driveway. And there was a guy parked there at the end of the driveway, and I T-boned his car. He was walking out of his house down the sidewalk when I ran into it. I had to call my dad and say, I've been in a wreck. He was very gracious, as was my mom. And I think they were very gracious because 
you know, my mom's parents, my, my grandfather was a, a, a Methodist minister, Athel Shepherd. His wife, Laura, had to be one of the kindest, most gracious, most forgiving women to ever walk the face of the earth. And they grew up, my mom and dad did, with parents who were so gracious and so kind and so forgiving. And I think that's why my mom and dad were so kind and forgiving. And Marsha's mom and dad were so loving and faithful and caring that they were always showing grace upon grace to the two of us. So that's why we showed grace to you. And I said, Kelly, you need to understand, you just created a legacy. You'll never be forgotten. You never forget your first wreck. And this girl will always remember that when she had her first wreck, there was this woman who came back and hugged her and told her it's really going to be okay. She will never forget you. Many of us have been blessed to have parents and grandparents and great-grandparents who were forgiving and caring and loving and showed grace. But maybe you didn't have that. Maybe you grew up in an environment where there was such criticism and maybe there was judgment and there was anger. And if you did, then it needs to stop with you. It stops with you. Because we all have experienced the grace of Christ. We all know what it means to be forgiven. We all know what it means to be loved by Christ. And if you know what it means to have experienced that grace, then you can turn around and live that grace. You and I made a commitment that in everything we say and do, we said we will seek to share God's love and bring hope to this world. So if you did grow up in a different environment, it stops with you. And so it is that you and I, if we remember that we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, and if we will focus on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, if we know His grace, we will find the strength to run the race that is set before us. You and I can do this, even when we face death. We don't have to be afraid. We go forward. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen.
You've been listening to the sermon podcast of St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses. Learn all about St. Luke's different services and programs on our website, stlukesokc.org. We trust you will experience God's love and hope throughout this week.